Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Before I introduce my guests, some people ask, what's the thing you can do to help? Um, We don't accept any financial donations, but if you have time, and I read them and appreciate it, if you go to iTunes and rate this podcast, that helps um, more people connect with the podcast. With that being said, um, our guest on today's podcast in our home on a beautiful Sunday afternoon and in the wintertime is my friend Tom Christofferson. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Thank you, Richard. And we're going to talk about Tom's new book. The title of Tom's new book, it's the second book he's written. It's um, published by Desert Book. It's called A Better Heart, The Impact of Christ's Pure Love. And I'm going to read just the bio on the back of it. This will embarrass Tom, so he may ask me to edit this out, but I'm going to read it anyway in case some of you are not familiar with Tom. Tom Christofferson has spent his career in investment management and asset servicing living in the United States and Europe. He has served as a director on corporate and nonprofit boards and is a volunteer with agencies combating homelessness and long-term unemployment. Tom is an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and serves as a gospel doctrine teacher in his Mesa, Arizona ward. He is the author of That We May Be One, A Gay Mormon's Perspective on Faith and Family. That book was, when was your first book published, Tom? Um, I think it was released in October of 2017. And that book has been very helpful to our family and so many Latter-day Saints around the world. And thank you for the courage to write that. To further, I just wanted to read one review on Deseret Book. This book is just out, but I love reading reviews about the books. And Tom may not have ever read these because he may not need to read these, but I'll read just one of them. To, And I encourage our listeners to leave a review about Tom's book on Deseret Book or Amazon. It helps more connect with it. Um, Tom's life is in the community of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has not been expected or a typical one. I am glad he is willing to share his thoughts and his heart. He has an exceptional gift for using language that is both enjoyable to listen to and deeply instructive. This book has opened my mind to additional ways to follow the Savior and let him change my heart. I really appreciate Tom's courage to share his life experiences with the general church membership. He has clearly been blessed with the gift of language and has developed that over the years. Listening to this book will enrich your life. I love that review. Which, which one of my brothers wrote that? <laughs> um, that's awesome. Tell us anything you just want to say before we get started, Tom, by way of introduction. <laughs> I would, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. you. I have listened to many of your podcasts over the years, and you, have, I, you and I have had a chance to be together on some occasions and places to be able to try and share a message of love and hope with uh, with folks, and hope we can continue that today. Thanks, Tom. Tell us, um, some some authors kind of write one book, and then that's they're kind of a one and done <laughs> author. And here you've written another book. Yeah. Um, share with our listeners why you decided. I um, thought I was going to be the author of one book as well, um, but I had been thinking for a while about. Uh, the gift of charity, and um, it began with a conversation among my brothers at a one evening at a family reunion. We were talking about gifts of the spirit generally, and sort of the idea of you know a Zion people in conjunction with gifts of the spirit. And and one of my brothers observed that um, 
that sort of like the gift of faith, the gift of charity is one that we're all encouraged to seek. It you know, may not have been our native gift, but each one of us can and should uh, seek to develop it. And that began a multi-year effort for me, I think, of really seeing what I could learn about it and and um, a journey of discovery, I guess I'd say. I assumed that um, anything that needed to be written about this already had been, so I wasn't expecting it to be a book. But as I looked for resources myself, um, I, I was surprised not to find as many as I thought I would. And and one I would mention, by the way, that that is terrific, that was meaningful to me um, by our friend Virginia Pierce, uh, called A Heart Like His. And she talked about um, an experiment, I think she'd say, with a group of friends of of trying to um, develop hearts that are more like the saviors. And and that was, it's a wonderful book. And I don't know if it's still in print, but I do know you can definitely still get the ebook version of it, and I'd recommend it. Uh, but so that's the, that's how this one came about. Um, talk about um, just a little bit of the structure. There's three, there's three sections just to give our listeners a little bit of an idea of kind of the three areas you focus in on. You know, it, it, it sort of builds, I guess, and, and it aligned with um, the Apostle John's insight that we love him because he first loved us. And so I divided the book into a section on Christ's love for us, followed by a section on our love for him, and then a section on the gift of charity itself and and how what I've sort of learned and noticed and observed uh, and feel about that uh, gift in my life. Um, now I'm going to ask you some more questions. I've had a chance to, well, I, usually I just like to turn over the guests to keep talking. So do you, are there just more things you want to share about the book, or do you want to just me shoot you questions? Happy for you to shoot questions. Okay. Um, talk about, um, teach our listeners your thoughts about, can anything take us outside of God's love? Right. Um, <clears throat> I, I really um, find myself drawn to the parables that Jesus related during his ministry. Um I always say the four Gospels and the book of Acts and uh, Third Nephi are my favorite parts of Scripture because there I feel like I get to be an eyewitness of Christ and to observe his interactions with with those who followed him and those who opposed him, as well as to, to hear and read his teachings. And so um, I think especially in his parables, and and one that I love so deeply, the the parable that we've sometimes called the prodigal son that I think we should call the father of the righteous father of two sons. But um, because I think it teaches us so much about the father. And in that sense, it teaches us of our heavenly parents and savior that, uh, that whatever the circumstances that may come in our lives, they never stop um, bidding us to return uh, and waiting for us to return to them. And then to be greeted uh, with uh, a kiss on our necks and and a ring on our fingers and a robe and um, celebration. And I, you know, that is such a powerful story and certainly my own experience of 
um, of the Savior's love uh, for me, and I think um, something that many of us have have been able to understand is uh, more than just a parable. Um, I agree with that, Tom. It's taken me a while to kind of recognize the difference from worth that's set, like your teaching, and um, perhaps worthiness to go to the temple that can come and go. And I've recognized that, um, and as I work with others, if I can help them understand that wherever they are in their life, that their heavenly parents love them and they want to be connected to them now, that seems to be a big theme of your book and your ministry. Any more thoughts on that? I, and I don't know if you want to talk about this YSA stake president um, <laughs> as he sure. was talking to you right before you were ready to talk to the a stake full of YSAs. Yeah. that In that experience, um, he said to me, um, be sure to tell them that they need to find out the Lord loves them. You know, that most important thing that they could learn was of his awareness of them, his love for them. And I, you know, I think about that um, pretty much every time I have an opportunity to speak to a group, um, that the starting point of our journey um, really does need to be um, confidence that our Heavenly Parents and Savior know us, everything about us, and, uh, and that their love for us is comprised of their knowledge of the past, present, and future of us, right? I, I think of the, the story in, in the seventh chapter of Luke where Jesus has been invited to a meal at the home of a Pharisee. And you'll remember that a woman comes and washes his feet with her tears and then dries them with her hair and anoints his feet with oil. And the Pharisee, <clears throat> rather than being touched by that scene of love, is uh, critical of Christ and says, if you were a prophet, you would have known what sort of woman that is, that she is a sinner. Um, and apparently he could say that without any irony at all, <laughs> uh, apparently not believing that he himself was a sinner. Um, but the Savior's comment that, she has loved much and is forgiven. And I, I feel like it's just such a critical notion that he sees our hearts uh, more than our histories, that in his engagement with us, I think we always find uh, his sense of our potential and his love for our actuality. Uh, and especially his awareness of our hearts, our desires, and our overwhelming desire that we might draw closer to him. I love the line you said. I don't know if that's in the book or something you just um, did off the cuff, Tom, but sees our hearts more than sees our history. What a powerful concept for all of us yeah. as parents, as local leaders, um, in our relationship with our heavenly parents. Um I love that concept. Um, I'm going to ask you some more questions, Tom. Um, talk about this. You talk about motivation by fear versus maybe a higher, holier law. Share with our listeners a little bit about that concept. I was trying to explore the idea that, um, that sometimes in Scripture we read that uh, uh, blessings are predicated on our obedience to a commandment. 
And and while I don't doubt that that's uh, true, I think we sometimes um, can convey that uh, message to one that really becomes uh, almost a, an effort to um, control God. That we that somehow we believe our uh, obedience can manipulate him to an outcome, a specific outcome that we desire. And, and when we say it that way, of course, nobody really believes that. But somehow or other, our focus on obedience can, and obedience with a promise, I think, can lead us down a path that's, that isn't actually what the Savior is trying to teach us, which is that um, in his great love for us, he's given us guidelines, given us ways that will allow us to find a healthier, happier life and to remain close to him, to uh, grow in in goodness, in, in growing in ways that, that are helping us to become more like him over time. So the what I was trying to suggest there is that there are things that are impediments to our um, learning to uh, obey simply because we love, or in other words, acting in love, which is obedience. Uh, in the the commandments are given to us in love. Our obedience happens because we love, not because we fear or because we uh, are trying to gain something as a result. And I love the uh, general conference address that that then President Uchtdorf gave a few years ago. Perfect love casteth out fear, and that that it's worth a read again, if you haven't uh, read that one recently, uh, because the lesson is profound, right? That that the Savior is not asking us to come to Him um, in fear; He's asking us to learn to act like Him because we love Him, and and our desire is to have a heart like His. Um, I love what he loves and love as he loves. I love that talk from Elder Dorf. I was just looking for a quote I like from that talk, but I can't quite find it. I may reference it again later. Well, it's your show. You get to edit it in. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, Tom, because I've certainly recognized fear used in a manipulative way or in an appropriate way may cause the outcome I want with people around me, right. children or people I have sort of an influence on for a temporary period of time, but I've recognized that that is not kind of the holier, better way that you're teaching and Elder right. Uchtdorf did in that talk. And and the idea that you should just love people because they deserve to be loved, not as an agenda, not out of rescue, just right. because they deserve to be loved. Including ourselves. <laughs> Talk more about that. Talk about well, why you know, it's, it's sometimes really hard to do this for ourselves. Right. It, gets, it, it kind of gets to a point about the book again, which I didn't mention at the beginning. But, you know, I when the first draft of this book um, that I sent to some friends, including a couple of Desert Book, um, was purely about the gift of charity and kind of a um, maybe a little dry, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, one dear friend came back and said, you know, what's missing in this is you. And I said, well, I, I didn't want to write a gay book. I just wanted to write a book about uh, the love of Christ. And um, And she said, well, but the way you experience the love of Christ is through the lens of who you are. 
And I said, you're exactly right. So I, I went and rewrote the book and, uh, and now it is, you know, it talks about how I've learned various lessons or at least, you know, the perceptions of my life come through a lens of being a gay man. And so, you know, that's, uh, an enormous blessing in my life to be able to perceive Christ's love, you know, through the lens of my own experience. And, um, so I, you know, I, as I'm talking especially to young LGBTQ individuals who are um, trying to figure out how to reconcile their love for Christ and his gospel and the church um, with this now clearer sense of themselves. Um, and, and one of the things that I always hope to convey is that um, there's nothing you can hide from God. <laughs> He's, he knows everything about us, right? So knowing that he knows every aspect of us, then this source of uh, conversation should be, in fact, the most open one we ever have. There is literally nothing to fear in our conversation with our heavenly parents because there's nothing to hide. And so in that sense, I think the purest prayer uh, for me certainly began with, do you know who I am? You know I'm here, and and then can kind of move on from there to say, okay, here's what I'm wrestling with. This is here's what's causing my heart to break. Here's what I'm trying, where I'm trying to find happiness and health, and I don't know how to do it. Help me. And again, I think that is not a conversation of fear. It's a conversation truly of love and hope. That this is the place we know we can go to be able to find um, complete and pure, perfect understanding along with complete and perfect love. And in that setting, then, to be able to seek direction for our lives and confirmation of the things that we think will be best for us and, and a determination to move forward. It's a great segment, Tom. And Listeners, you know, when I got to know Tom and through that book and then listening to some of his seminars, and we've had the chance to speak a couple times together, I, to be honest, I first saw Tom as, you know, a gay man that returned to the church, and this was his story. And there was a lot of principles of the gospel in that story with Bishop Larson and President Checkets and, and family around you and loving parents. Um, and that story is really important. But, you know, listeners, one of the things I've recognized about Tom is that's more the Tom is more than that. Tom is teaching us about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's partly because of his journey as a gay Latter-day Saint, but it's partly he's a student of the gospel and has really understood the gospel of Jesus Christ and our Savior through reading the scriptures and prayer and personal revelation and his own journey. That That's why I'm so glad about this second book, Tom, um, because it's just a wonderful book for all of us to better have a better heart. And so thank you for writing it. Um, I, on Richard, page, can I just add to that add for a to moment, that, please? <clears throat> that I think one of the blessings of my life has also been to um, to have rubbed up against, to have uh, had a chance to get to know and admire uh, people of very different faith. You know, uh, living in New York, you have a lot of great Jewish friends, right? And and uh, um, you know, I I feel like my sense of um, the meaning of life um, has been enriched by 
uh, wonderful relationships with people who see the world very differently. And, you know, and I mean that in a spiritual sense, but in every other sense as well. Um, the last election cycle has been really problematic, but, you know, there have been voices who see some things differently than I do that I felt like have added to my own sense of understanding and, and if, if not wisdom on my part, at least uh, a way for me to be able to approach um, conversations and questions with, uh, with a greater breadth of um, empathy and a desire to understand. I like that segment and um, the last political, you know, as I sat in church today, I think I mentioned recording this on a Sunday, I recognize when I go to church, I'm in a community of people that believe the same way I am. There's a lot of similars there and there's a lot of need to serve within that community. But then I thought about um, sometimes it's harder to serve people that are different than you. Yeah. that hold different beliefs or different, you know, religious beliefs, political be beliefs, or just in different circles. And I've thought as my own journey within the gospel, I thought, you know, it takes more, it can be rewarding, but it often takes more effort to sort of get out of your normal circle and connect with other circles like you're talking, what you've done in your own life. And I found that I, I feel it's the same human family. I feel more of like it's not an us versus them. I just... I sort of call it getting to the 40,000 foot level. That's not nearly where our heavenly parents are on their vision of all of us, but it, it helps me see everybody as part of the same human family, Tom, even mm -hmm. in our differences. I, you know, I, um, as, as I was coming back to church, which was a, you know, nearly a decade long process, I attended um, for seven years before I was rebaptized. But I, um, there were two big questions in my mind uh, in trying to make that determination. The, um, before any of that was that my partner at the time would um, be willing to um, really release me from commitments I'd made to him in order that I might make additional ones or at least be willing that I should go along this path with his blessing. Um and then the other questions I had were um, around the law of chastity. Would I be able to make and keep a covenant of that sort for the rest of my life? And the the much more uh, crucial question really was, you know, how how would my life unfold? Um, feeling that I would never fit in the church, and fit for me was not that I'm gay or or you know it was then becoming single, it was that my experiences of the gospel of Jesus Christ were so different from the people that I would go to church with. You know, my, we might say we all believe the same things, but I'm not sure we do because I think we really, our beliefs are through the lens of our own experiences. And so we might all be able to recite doctrine in a, in a similar way. But I think the way we understand uh, heavenly parents and Christ and a plan of salvation um, can feel differently to each one of us based on the experiences we've had. And and the answer to the prayer that I received over time on that score was that, uh, that the experiences that my life had provided were worthy and worthwhile, uh, and the Lord would allow me to have additional experiences as well. 
And I, I think that would be his answer to pretty much anyone, right? That, you know, there's, we all bring something of worth, um, no matter how we've arrived at this moment that we're together. Uh, and we all have something to gain in this moment that we're together from people who've, who see things differently, have, have had different experiences in their lives than we've had. Um, talk about just this, you know, you were in the same, you had a partner for a couple decades. I think that's, you know, in the first book and people are generally familiar with it. And you face this intersection, if that's a good term to use, where I, you recognize you couldn't have both. You couldn't be in this partnership and you couldn't return to full fellowship in the church. And a lot of, and you know this better than I do, and you get a lot more messages than I do, a lot of LG lesbian and gay Latter-day Saints in their 20s or teens are facing that intersection at the beginning of their life, wondering, you know, I I would love maybe to have both of these. I'd love to have a life partner, and I'd love to participate mm-hmm. in the church. Just talk to that group of people. Um, mm-hmm. Because I know you have lots and lots of those conversations. You hit that. I love the way you hit that pretty head on where you speak about that in, in church settings. So talk to that group of people. Sure. Give I, advice. You know, my feeling is that we have to start with first things first, and the first thing is Christ. So the very first thing, again, is just to to have that personal conviction that you are visible and loved by your heavenly parents and your Savior. And then with that confident background to then be able to look at your life and say, okay, what's, what is going to be the best path of health and happiness and what will be the best way for me to bring goodness into the world to, uh, to be someone who shares Christ's love broadly. And I think each one of us will find answers that suit our individual circumstances. We, I really believe the Spirit tutors us in the language and method and manner that is best for us individually to learn. And so my journey isn't going to look like yours or anyone else down the road, right? We're each going to find our own path and, and the Lord can help us course correct if we need to. Um, but the, but I think the critical factor is that we, um, that we are, uh, proceeding with a degree of confidence that that our righteous desires to become more like Christ, to gain a heart like His, you know that that we're proceeding to try and do that. And you know, I felt for um, a long time that um, that to simply be a good person, to do all the things that I knew um, would be helpful to those around me, to have integrity, to be you know someone um, who could be trusted, it would be helpful, all the, you know, all the things we think about, you know, that that was a way for me to be able to live my conviction of, of Jesus Christ. I wasn't a member of the church. I wasn't a, attending uh, any church regularly at that point. Later, I, you know, with a, a very happy life, my partner of what eventually became 19 years, I still felt there was something spiritually where I could grow uh, beyond where I then was. And and I uh, began to attend again uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for the first at least six years of that period. I assumed that I would never be a member, but that I could do as much as I could in companionship and fellowship with members of that congregation. 
that I knew I was loved by leaders and members, um, that I could, there were ways I could contribute and, and be a part of that and that I could continue to grow um, and help others in, in their growth. And, and I felt like that was enough that, uh, that, you know, in this life or certainly to that point in my life, that that was adding a great enrichment to many things wonderfully already present. And then at a certain point, I really felt that, um, that as I wrestle with my own place in the plan of salvation, that the place I feel most confident is as part of the, of the eternal family of our heavenly parents, that I, I know I have a place. I know I'm, I have a relationship with everyone else in that regard. And, and that, uh, that I can, um, have the, the opportunity to, in some fashion over time to, um, to be able to become more like them, to, um, I always say my, the greatest desire of my heart would be that, uh, that Christ would call me his friend. Um, and so, you know, I think as each of us approach those decisions, it's, it's from where I am today, what's the best I can do? What would be the healthiest, happiest way to live my life today? And how that might change tomorrow, I don't know. But what, you know, how can I do right now what's within my reach uh, to be the very best person that I can and to draw as close to the Savior and heavenly parents as I can? And um, it's not, in that sense, this is not an all or nothing game, right? It's a, it's a doing my best game. And um, I think that's what, what is, uh, needed and wanted. And each of us will find what that means. I'm grateful for the lessons of learning to love someone more than myself that I gained in my relationship with my partner. I'm grateful for the love we together conveyed to others. I'm, um, I'm grateful for the opportunities now to, to be in the temple when it's open and to, um, to be a part of binding the family of which I am a part. Do you look back on that 19 years and say that was a mistake or I wish I could have done that differently? Or do you look at it as just part of my mortal journey and great lessons of good came into my life because of that? Oh, I'm incredibly grateful for that experience. The um, I'm grateful for the person I shared those experiences with. Um, he is was my best friend and uh, in our time together and is always um, before we got together. And now someone I admire deeply is uh, humanity, his um, willingness to work hard, his great humor, his kindness. Um, I'm, I am grateful for the experiences we had together. Your priesthood leaders, which you've mentioned, and I think are really good friends, Bruce Larson and Dave Checkets. During this time, did you feel their their goal is to end this relationship and bring you back into full activity? Or were they just walking with you and just this unconditional love and helping you feel connected to the gospel and feel welcome? It was definitely the latter. I, I don't know their private thoughts necessarily, but I do know that in our conversations together, both at various times said, uh, you know, the answers to these questions are going to come to you, not to me. 
and uh, and so I want to be as helpful to you. And you'll set the time frame, and you'll set the you know, parameters that, that we go through. And I'll be as as helpful as a resource to you as I can be, and provide as many opportunities as I can as as you seek them. And that um, that really was critical. I felt then, and when the time came when I wanted to be baptized, um, President Checkets. Uh, asked if Clark, my partner, would come and speak to him. Uh, and in that session with the two of them, uh, the stake president talked about why baptism was so meaningful to me, why I mat- it mattered so much, and why I was desirous of it. And then he turned to my partner and said, but I want to know how you feel. And then listened to his very frank response. And, and then to me afterwards said, uh, this is not the right time for you to be baptized. And, and we're not going to set a date for when we'll talk about it again. Um, but if you two come to a place where you feel that you both feel that this is the right step, then you'll come to me. And I, I think that is such a magnificent indication of awareness and respect of the impact that my decisions would have on my partner's life. And you could say, well, gee, what's a more righteous desire than to want to be baptized and progress in that sense? Um, but, you know, that I had made commitments to that wonderful man, and and therefore he had a very a real uh, stake in, in how I might move forward. My great hope had been that even though I ended our physical relationship in order to be worthy to move forward and, and meet those requirements. Um, I felt like our emotional connection and our love for each other was strong enough that that, that was enough. And uh, I really felt that it was possible to have a happy life in a, in a relationship that was not physical uh, and, uh, and then that I could continue and become a member of the church and, and uh, do that with his loving support. But, uh, you know, and over time, it really, that came to be not a happy situation for him, and we separated at that time. Thanks for being so honest with your story. And I remember, I think it was at the University of Utah, there was a roundtable with Desert Book, and I think they put that on, and I think Bishop Larson was there, and he said something in, that really impacted me about how I should how I should look at people. And he said, it was not a high five moment when you two split up. And I just thought, here's this bishop. And sometimes priesthood leaders have this goal to just want to have everybody on the same path and feel like that's their job. But I just recognize that your stake president, your bishop, sort of saw the big picture here and and honored your personal revelation. I've always felt as I was a bishop, the longer I served, the more I really wanted my members to get personal revelation for their path. And I was kind of a guide to help them get that, but I wasn't in charge of getting it for them. Right. I wanted to lay a framework for them to get that. And I just felt like that's part of our doctrine. It's part of, you know, this relationship that you're teaching. And I, that was such a helpful moment for me. And I just recognize, it also helped me to recognize how wonderful this relationship that you and Clark had. And um, I I felt grief, Tom, and I know you feel a lot more of this, but just as my wife and I were sitting there, I recognized, and I felt the complexity and the paradox that you had to give up something that I was sitting there with my wife that I didn't have to give up. 
to fully participate in the church. And I've just sat with the complexity of that ever since. <laughs> um, and I love your advice as people need to get personal revelation, but I also love the way you honor this, this relationship. Well, you and I have a, a wonderful friend in common, John Gustav Rathal, and, uh, and I often uh, have said, you know, John is, a, is a, an absolutely wonderful example of discipleship, right? He is a man without guile. And he and and his husband Yoren have been together. I think uh, quite close to thirty years now. Uh, they're married, and and this is John's story to tell. But but I know from our personal conversations that he has um, indicated his willingness to the Lord to lay everything on the line. That that he would do whatever the Lord would ask him to do, and um, and his uh, his feeling, the guidance he feels he receives is that he continue in the marriage that he has. And I, I absolutely um, sustain, support, believe uh, with him that that's what the Lord is telling him to do. And I, I just um, I want to be sure that, that we always just um, trust, as President uh, Monson used to say, that People are just doing the best they can in the circumstances of their lives. If we can take that approach and and trust that they're doing their best and what they need from us is not uh, um, a lot of advice <laughs> uh, as much as it is a lot of love and support. And, you know, and, and I think as we allow that to happen, allow that to be the course of our lives, we discover so many people whose lives don't look exactly like ours but who are um, great teachers to us of what it's like to be a Christian, uh, who are conduits for us of Christ's love. And um, I just, I just, I hope as a, as a church we continue to get better. I've seen so much progress in my experience over the last decade, but I hope we continue to get better at ensuring that anyone who walks in a chapel whatever their circumstances, feels home. That this is a place uh, where they can feel the Spirit of the Lord uh, and feel great love from a congregation assembled with a with the same purpose, to know and serve the Savior by serving His children. And, um, you know, I just, if we can get better and better at that, then, then chapels become this just amazing place where no one feels judged <laughs> or feels they don't fit, right? Because we have the common purpose of our desire to turn to Christ. Um, I love that. And I love where um, I, I sometimes say my personal revelation doesn't give me the right to judge your personal revelation. <laughs> and, and part of keeping my covenants doesn't give me the right to assess if you're keeping your covenants or not. Right. A bishop, you know, has that responsibility. I think a parent can get re personal revelation for their children, especially minor age children. Yeah. But I think we just teach personal revelation and honor people's personal revelation and don't sort of sit on the sidelines and judge yeah. somebody else's personal revelation. President Oaks gave a great talk at BYU a number of years ago. And at one point he said, uh, and he was, he was talking to 
you know, an audience of mostly unmarried young people about, you know, their, their progress going forward and, and seeking marriage, et cetera. But one of the things he said was, I'm a general authority and I teach general principles. And if you feel that you are an exception to the rule I've taught, that's your responsibility to go figure out, not mine. So don't come back to me and ask me to bless your exception. And I love, I, I really love that idea. Like we are, Agents to act, not to be acted upon, as Nephi teaches us, right? And so the whole point of this is to develop some spiritual maturity, as as President Nelson so often is, is teaching us, to draw closer to the Spirit, learn to understand the language of the Spirit, and to follow the guidance we receive, but to have have confidence that we are the ones who are accountable for this life and therefore we're the ones who are seeking and setting the direction of it with with the Lord and, and striving to follow where we feel we're being led. So, you know, just it's uh, we in, in large measure, uh, I love the and how President Nelson talks about daily repentance and the, you know, the meaning of the word repentance is turning. Right, and it's I love that idea that we're doing our best every day, and we have our opportunity every day to keep turning to Christ. He's always there for us, but we can keep turning toward Him, and and each day attempt to to do that more consistently, more draw more uh, closely to Him, to 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 be able to be a more perfect um, transmitter of His love to those around us, and you know it, it's. I think that um, we learn, uh, the church provides us a congregational setting for learning, but our every um, ordinance, every covenant is individual. So, you know, each of us has to be able to, on our own, in partnership with the Spirit and in the direction of the Lord, find the right path and, and move forward. How long ago were you rebaptized? Uh, in October of 2014. So that's six years plus. Yeah, six and a half, yeah. And I think you were baptized in our stake footprint because President <laughs> Larson, your bishop then was in our stake presidency during that yeah. time. And I think you were baptized in our stake center here. I don't know if we ever it was, talked about that. It was the Friday before general conference. Um, and because the whole my all my brothers and sisters-in-law would be here, and so we, um, we, I asked Bishop Larson, who was in your stake presidency, if, um, if we could use a chapel in your stake. And so we used your stake center for that. And, uh, so my brothers, their wives, um, um, Bishop and Gail Larson, uh, President Deb Checkets and, and a few other people who had been really instrumental in my journey, but just a small group of us to to celebrate that special moment. And uh, I asked each of my brothers to share their uh, feelings. And um, my former partner didn't join me at that setting, even though I had invited him to. But I was so grateful how each of them expressed in their feelings their love for him as well and their um, appreciation for the role he had played in my life. That's cool. That's great. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, love. And I go back to sitting in my congregation. It's easy to love everybody, easier to love everybody. It's just like me. 
But I think that's where we really grow is where we just love people that are perhaps different us, politically, yeah. sexual orientation, all the different ways potentially we could get divided with race. Talk about, um, that's a good transition. I want to talk about your parents. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of you talking to LDS parents that have LGBTQ children and they've just come out and they're, and they just need a set of principles to guide them. And I think what your parents did with you is, was so helpful for me. Um, and I just thought that it just, and it's helped hundreds and hundreds of other LDS parents. I, you know, it's interesting as I, uh, wrote the first book, it, it kind of divided into two parts, lessons my family and I learned, lessons my ward family and I learned. And, um, and I, I felt so strongly at various points that I wish my parents were still alive. Uh, How old would they be, Tom? And what are their names? So uh, <laughs> Paul was my dad and Jean was my mom. And, um, and dad uh, would have been 100 years old last year. Wow. April 1st of 1920 is when he was born. And, uh, and mom, uh, was born in 1924. So, so she's roughly President Nelson's age. She'd be 97 yeah, they were, right now. They were. And, uh, <clears throat> he was a particular favorite of hers because, um, uh, at general conference uh, after general conference one time when was, we were walking back, whatever, and, and elder and, and sister Nelson were there as we were walking by and, and elder Christofferson introduced his parents and, and, uh, Elder Nelson said to my mother, oh, you couldn't be Elder Christopherson's mother. You're far too young. <laughs> so he so was her favorite from really, there on. That is great. <laughs> but they, you know, my, I, I had such great parents. And they're, you know, they would be surprised to find out that a lot of people know who they are <laughs> in a sense. You know, they, dad was a veterinarian, spent most of his career in um uh, research and development for veterinary pharmaceutical products. He was a real scientist. Um, mom had cancer shortly after I was born, throat cancer, uh, and nearly died. And there, I talk about that a bit in this book. And then later in her life had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, and she had lots of complications from the that initial surgery following her uh, throat cancer that uh, she had to take thyroid and calcium by mouth, her body couldn't produce them any longer. So there are all sorts of challenges for the rest of her life, honestly, with that. But but uh, there were so many experiences, I think, for them of purifying and clarifying what mattered. Um, and, you know, uh, the, the greatest success for them was, uh, as my mom once said, uh, when when we were all home for something and sitting in the family room and telling stories and laughing. And she said, uh, this might be the happiest moment of my life. That, <clears throat> sorry, that all my boys are together and we're laughing. So that I can feel how much you love each other. And, um, you know, they were very reticent about giving advice to anybody else. It was interesting. Um, I think they really, my, my sense is that they had received revelation for their stewardship of their family and they didn't want to impede on anyone else's opportunity to have the same experience, to know what would be best in the circumstances of their family, of how to do it and move forward and how to show love and how to keep loyalty and unity among the family. Um, they, um, 
So I, I try to be a little cautious about giving advice to parents too. And I, I think what I would say is rather than here's what I would suggest, it's here's what I would hope, here's what I would pray, that your experience in this journey with an LGBTQ child um, will be one that draws you closer to the Savior, that as you kneel and seek answers to questions that don't have easy answers and perhaps don't have answers in this life, that that will be an opportunity for you to feel their love and awareness of you. And that as you, as your heart grows really in your love for your children and, and the, the circumstances, that, the experiences that they're going through, that your heart will also expand for for everyone around you, right? The, the I think the um, I remember a, a, a good friend of ours with a transgender son at one time saying, "I there's nothing I wouldn't have done to be able to change this reality for him, so that he wouldn't have had to go through all these very hard experiences." Um, and then she said, "And there's nothing." that I would take to change the experiences that I've had because through this I've come to know my heavenly parents. And I, I, I really pray that that will be the experience of all parents, that, that in a new learning process that challenges some comfortable assumptions we've had in the past, that there will be moments that draw you closer than you've ever been before to your heavenly parents and to your Savior, and that you will feel their love for you and for your child who is their child and be able to live in some ambiguity, to be able to um, recognize that everyone doesn't have the same experience or knowledge or insight that you gain in this process and to be lovingly engaged uh, with people wherever they are, to recognize that all of us bring strengths and have challenges and blind spots and still to be able to approach you know, other members of the church or people in your community, whether in a spirit of love that, uh, that you have felt in your direct communication with heaven. Great segment. What would you say to parents that have a child outside the church, you know, same-sex marriage, or just a child out of the church for any reason, a straight child, and this feeling my eternal family is, you know, we're not going to be together eternally, and just this, it's the empty chairs and the next life. It's feeling our family's not going to be together and I've failed as a parent and this is just like the worst outcome. What would you say, and I know you've had those conversations, mm. share with our listeners what you'd say. Well, I think the best answer was given by President Eyring in conference. What was it? Uh, uh, I think it was October of 2019. But, but he said he'd had a conversation with another apostle who he didn't name and shared his feeling that extended members of their family uh, might not uh, be living a celestial life at this point and, uh, and wondered what that might mean. And, and that apostle, and I'm paraphrasing, said, you're worried about the wrong thing. You know, just do the very best you can to live a life that would qualify you to return to heavenly parents and trust that the family arrangements will be better than you can possibly imagine. And I, you know, isn't that, really kind of the answer to everything, which is we are agents to ourselves, right? And um, so the the control of life that we have is how we, the control we have to respond to uh, situations that we face, right? And so we can choose 
to be loving and hopeful and supportive and uh, and to trust and to have faith in the arrangements that our heavenly parents will make in that they know, as I've sometimes said, the chemistry and biology of the brain and body of, of each individual ways that we don't know and and the experiences that have shaped them to what they fear and what they hope, right? And so in even as much as we know and love children, we don't know them anywhere near what our heavenly parents know in knowing the past, present, and future of them. And so I think it's to um, do the very best that we can to live the light and truth that we've received and to uh, spread that light and love as broadly as we possibly can and trust that our heavenly parents and Savior uh, will make those arrangements that we don't see or know at this point better than we can possibly imagine. Uh, back to your parents. Did your parents try to split you and Clark up? No. And how did they, you know, how did you, what kind of a relationship did you and Clark have with your parents? And was it the same as the other couples in your family? We, um, so uh, we met in San Francisco when I had, I had been working in Europe and then uh, accepted a position in San Francisco. Uh, my partner and I and I generally don't say his name because I just want to give him all the privacy sure. I can. And I hope that comes across as not. Um, I, I mean it to be the most respectful way of showing my love and affection and respect for him. But um, anyway, uh, he had moved to San Francisco. About, I think, a little bit after I did, but we had a friend in common, a woman that I worked with, had known him uh, earlier when he was in his master's degree program. And um, so she had dinner with him one night and and then invited me to have dinner with them. And, and uh, Clark and I used to joke about this, like, I know a setup when I, when I see one. Uh, That's and, great. And he would always say, oh, no, it was just, she was just. You know, I was new to the city and she wanted to introduce me to people, so I'd have friends. Anyway. Love that. However, however um, I, I was smitten pretty quickly. I knew that this was somebody I really wanted to to get to know. And, um, and mom and dad came to visit us in San Francisco. Let's see. We met in April. Uh, we moved in together. This is 1996. Moved in together at the end of the year. And mom and dad came to visit quite early in the new year, so right after we just moved into this home together. And, um, and you know, they really came to love him very quickly. I remember not on this visit, but on another one, um, mom became ill. And Clark, uh, my partner was the, the executive director of the East Bay AIDS Center in Berkeley. And he called some of the docs in that program. And this was on, I think it was like Labor Day or something, but it was a holiday. And called and said, you know, Tom's mom is not well. I think needs to be looked at. Um, can I, we'll bring her down to the hospital. Could you meet us in the emergency room and and take take care? And, and this sweet doctor did and was so kind and attentive to my mom and, and helpful. And, um, you know, they that that was an example of how he always was toward them. You know, just um, he was so aware of their needs and in their later years as they were, would have more medical issues. And uh, after he'd gone to med school, become a doctor uh, that evening, they'd call, call up and report <laughs> what 
what they'd heard in their doctor visit, and he'd help them understand it and give suggestions for how to act uh, in accordance with the guidance they've been given. Um, they, uh, I, <clears throat> I mentioned in the first book that the first time that uh, we both went to stay at my parents' home when they were living in Utah, uh, we'd flown in, and as we we're landing at the airport, my partner said, um, "What do you think the sleeping arrangements are going to be?" <laughs> and, and I said, "I don't know. I just hope it's not awkward, <laughs> but we'll we'll figure it out." And um, we got to the front door, and we're holding our bags. And Mom opened the door and gave us both hugs and kisses, and said, "Don't even put your bags down. Just take them downstairs to the corner bedroom because it has the best air conditioning and the best bed." That's great. And I. You know, that was, for me, for us, it was a way just to have there be no barriers to our inclusion in the family and and our feeling of being a part of that family. Uh, I'm the youngest in the family, and, you know, I was, golly, 30-something at this point. So it's not like they had to think about young kids at home or anything, that maybe some others do. But that was the right answer for us, and it, it really set a stage they visited us often in Connecticut would come and spend a week and we'd travel uh we just had really wonderful experiences together I think the last thing that I would share is that um just before my father passed away uh, my oldest brother was visiting with him and and said to him um the that Tom's begun the process for baptism and and um it will happen over the next few months, I think. And my father's very first question was, will Clark be okay? I know he was pleased that, uh, you know, this was a uh, something that I wanted and, and would be good for me, but his first concern was, what would the impact be for this other person that he also loved? This other person he also loved. That you loved. Yeah. This is just the gospel of Jesus Christ, Tom. You're teaching it. Your family's teaching it. Um, one of the lines, I love that last segment. I think it honors your parents. It honors Clark. It's a beautiful story. It's a tough story. You and Clark are not together anymore. No. And there's a part of me that has hope that... that as our leaders continue to get more light and understanding, I just don't feel we're at the finish line on this issue. And I, as I sat there with my wife, <laughs> you know, at the University of Utah, when Bishop Larson was saying that was not a high-five moment, that I recognized something outside of your control, sexual orientation, prevented you from having something that was in my control, right. something that I couldn't control either, sexual orientation, but it didn't keep me from participating in both having a family a partner and being in the church and and the the complexity of that sort of hit me and I can step away from that issue because I can have a podcast with right. you and you know and but it's your life um, and I just and I'm so glad you share your story so I have hope I don't know if you have any thoughts for our listeners that also have hope that perhaps things will evolve on this and policies or doctrine or understanding will will create more light and understanding and a better path for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Any thoughts for people that just have hope? Is it okay to have hope that things change? You know, I think 
Um, I think the We're spiritual... getting ahead of the brethren <laughs> to sort of have hopes yeah. that are consistent right now with church teachings. I, I think the spiritual gift of hope is hope in Christ, right? The, the center of everything that we um, hope is because we have faith in him. So that faith allows us to imagine what it will feel like to be with him again and um, and allows us to experience his love in dark moments, right? And so the spiritual gift of hope, I think, gives us the ability to be able to say, I don't have the answer to this question. And and um, that uh, I see pain and suffering around me. And I want there to be a greater stability and love and, and happiness. Um, but my hope in Christ tells me that, that there are things that I don't understand that will be better than I know. And I, I think that's the sense uh, also uh, of the ninth article of faith, right? That we believe God will yet reveal many great and important things. And it's not that we need to tell him what he needs to reveal, right? Um, it's that I think it's the prayer in our hearts that whenever and whatever he chooses to reveal, we will be prepared, that we'll be ready in our hearts and minds to expand and grow uh, from the additional light that we receive. I love that. And um, I think I've shared on the podcast just my feeling that we're in a 40-chapter book and we're not at chapter 40. And chapter 40 is kind of where everybody has the same balm of Gilead experience straight in LGBTQ. Yeah. And parents don't have fear that comes in their heart if they learn to have an LGBTQ child. And, and I just... I'm not a leader in the church, and I don't know God's will, so I try not to say what chapter 40 looks like. It's just I share what Tom has, shares just of hope and recognize that it seems like there's more work to do in this space. Um, and certainly as people are getting personal revelation for how best to navigate this space, as Tom is sharing, let's honor that and leave all judging at the Savior's feet and do what Tom's parents did is things that are in our control, like keeping the family circled together. And I think that's one of the things that you've coined permanently in my brain. Nothing <laughs> I could do could take me outside of the circle the family's love. I think that's a quote out of your book. Mm. Um, talk about on page 147, you give advice to young LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, I believe, when someone opens up about their future. And you talk about this idea, for, and you've shared this in the podcast, know him um, is more important than knowing why, why perhaps you're LGBTQ. Just share that principle with us or yeah. read from the book or however you want to go it's, next. Um, since you've quoted a page, I'll, I'll Good. decide that I wrote it well the first time. <laughs> uh, I said, I spoke at a forum some time ago in Salt Lake City with the stake president and bishop who had so kindly welcomed me to attend and participate in church services and activities when neither my partner nor I were members. In that setting, a young person who struggled with many questions about being a gay Latter-day Saint asked how I dealt with questions like these. Why am I gay? Did God do this to me? Am I really supposed to be alone throughout my life? Will I have the partner of my heart in the next life? I wondered how best to respond, and in a flash of inspiration, realized that for me something else had come to matter more. I said, at a certain point, I realized it was more important to know him than to know why. It was a moment of revelation to me about me. 
I realized in that instant with a clarity I had not before possessed that I had indeed made the central question of my life how I could come to know Jesus so that I could truly follow and emulate him. I love that. I really love that. Do you want to expand any more on that, or does that stand on itself? Well, it, I, I guess it is just um, that um, we are, we never need to feel that whatever is happening in our lives, wherever we are, um, that our heavenly parents are uninterested or embarrassed or ashamed. Uh, or that the the Savior um, is now so far away from us that we can't find our way to Him. Um, I think that's the point of of feeling that uh, knowing Him is the central question of our lives, is that whatever, wherever, however, um, we always have the opportunity to say, what can I do right now that will bring me closer to the Savior? How can I turn to Him? And, um, and, you know, I, I just, I hope that's the sense that, uh, that each of us gain in increasing, um, certainty throughout our lives that, um, you know, it's, my history is colored, colorful. <laughs> there have been lots of twists and turns, you know, but, uh, but all of those twists and turns have shaped a heart that seeks him and seeks to be like him. Talk um, any more you want advice you give to, uh, how should we treat somebody that's potentially getting married to a same-sex partner and they're looking for person, they're looking, what advice do you give a couple like that? Um, and if you feel like, and if they're really going down that path and are likely to get married. What I always say to, to uh, young men and women uh, who have decided that they want to date, want to find a partner, want to build a life together. Um, I would say, well, make one of your criteria someone with whom you can kneel at your bedside and every night and pray together. You know, make that be a central part of your relationship that that you are including God in your relationship and desire to live lives that, that uh, you know, turn toward, toward Him. And... Um, and I don't think there's any uh, conflict in that, honestly. I really do feel like, you know, you can, you can do that. Hold, hold fast to all the good things you've learned and now add to them. Add additional experiences that teach you even more deeply about loving selflessly, about identifying need and seeking to meet it, um, about um, being able to learn patience and kindness and soft words and forgiveness. Um, all, all those experiences are godly experiences. So include God in them. Pray for more. Pray that your love will deepen. Pray that, that you will, that your commitment to one another will in some fashion bless other people. Find ways to then together because of the attributes and strengths and gifts that you've individually been given, now together what can you do in that combination that's going to have even greater impact for good on all those around you. I love that advice. I've heard you give that advice at times, and it's I, I love the advice. And it's sort of like if someone is self-determined, I, pers- I mean, I, I don't invite people down that path, but if they 
get personal revelation or self-determinants, kind of what you're saying is everybody's got to figure out their path and um, I'll support them in that path. And I love what you teach is, you know, take God with you in that path and take everything that's good with you. Keep every covenant you can. Right. Sometimes we get this very binary, you're either for us or against us. And it's this very, you're in or you're out. But I love the way you teach to keep people connected with God, whatever path they feel is the best with them and, and the Savior and to be true to that covenant of, of marriage, if it's a same-sex marriage, to be right. true to each other and live the covenant of that marriage um, the way it's outlined. It's, it's a legal, civil, you know, right. covenant. <laughs> um, any more thoughts on that, Tom? Just that, um, you know, I, again, my hope for us as a, as a church community is that we are getting ever better at being able to celebrate the happiness that other people feel, right? That that uh, that this is an incredibly happy moment for these two individuals, and we want to be part of their happiness. We want them to know that uh, that we see joy in them and want to be want that to be a part of our lives too. That uh, that we make an effort that uh, same sex couples will stay involved in the church. Maybe they don't have a temple recommend, but. But that's not our determination, right? It's just like, well, is there not enough service to give? Can we really afford to just wash people out and act as if there's not going to be a, a loss to us? Of course there is. So, you know, what can we do better because of the gifts and talents that these people have been given as they bring children into the world? How do we make sure that those children know how treasured they are by all of us in a community? And that they would never feel embarrassed uh, in in the church um, because of the love that made their family. So I, I just, these are just things I hope we. And there there are some examples, right? I I, I hope we get better at um, encouraging people whose faith in that particular journey is different than it was before and different than it will be in the future and different than mine today, whatever. But that they will still feel, even if they are trying to understand the nature of the divine, that there is something worthwhile to be a part of in a congregation of those who follow Jesus Christ. Um, that, that even if they don't have certainty about him or the Book of Mormon or whatever the question may be, that they would still find a, a place to contribute with us and that we would value their contribution and be grateful that they would choose to align themselves in any fashion with us. I love that, Tom, and I. it's sort of where the rubber meets the road to me on the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Christ taught and what your book teaches. And I say this on the podcast listeners a little bit sometimes. I think we create a false dichotomy that to fully love and follow God, we need to stop loving some of his children. You talk about that in the book. And I think, I just don't think there's a trade-off to, right. you know, the way I show God, I love him. And as a parent of six kids, that, and I think you saw this in your own family with your brothers, what brought your parents the most joy and what brings me the most joy is when, you know, we get along. Right. And I love Elder Cook's quote, it's unity and diversity. We can have unity and sameness, 
that's, you know, if I just surround myself by people that are exactly like me, that's easier than unity and diversity. And I think as the church, and Patrick Mason talks about this in his book, goes into the third century, we can learn how to do some of the things you're suggesting and, and helping us do a better job of. And it gives me hope for the future. And I hope if we have a same-sex couple walk into church holding hands or a dating couple, that we treat them just the same way we treat everybody else. I've yeah. always felt that the gate is wide at the congregation level. There's no belief or behavior hurdle to feel welcome. The gate narrows at the temple where there is a belief and behavior hurdle, but everybody should feel welcome, just like your congregation helped you feel welcome in Connecticut. Right. I, I've really come to feel that the first and second great commandments are indivisible. <laughs> Explain that. In the sense that how can we truly love God without loving what He loves, His greatest creation, His children? And how can we truly love our neighbor without gaining uh, the the insight that comes from him sharing his love with us of them, like the, for us to be able to understand what it is that he loves about every individual around us. So the, the perfecting of both commandments is living them together. Talk about, we're kind of coming to the end. I'd love you to talk about Darius Grace. I think you dedicated the, you anyway, just share with our listeners um, about Darius Gray, because that's just part of coming together in diversity. Uh, the the term that everybody loves to use in academia right now is intersectionality. Cool. Uh, I certainly the, can't spell that. <laughs> which is sort of the notion in its, uh, it's a fancy way of, of just saying that we're all in this together, right? That the experiences that any of us have that, uh, that make us feel apart or, uh, less than, or, or, um, somehow not, uh, of equal value to others, um, can allow us to then be better friends, allies, supporters of others who experience those feelings in a different setting. And I, to me, Darius is the absolute epitome of that. And his, as a, as an African-American man who joined the church in 1969, you know, he experienced years of, um, feeling, uh, less than in, in some church settings and, and by some members. Uh, and yet his faith allowed him to, uh, his faith in Christ allowed him to continue moving forward with what he believed he had been told to do. And, and he, as he had been a, a great uh, hero of mine before I ever knew him. But when we had the chance to meet, uh, what made me love him even more deeply was his instant um, recognition that we walked a similar path. Um, His view that, that my experience being a gay member of the church um, allowed uh, him to, um, in his experience as an African-American member of the church, to be able to um, empathize and, and, recognize the similarity and and share the arm of a brother uh, with a similar kind of experience. And I, you know, that's such a generous impulse, right? To, instead of focusing on what I've endured or what the, the pain I have suffered, to be able to recognize that others 
endure and suffer, and that your own experience then softens you toward others that we that we have because of things that have been difficult for us we want to act in more loving ways to others to smooth their road uh, in that is within our ability to do i love that tribute to darius gray and john gustav rathel feels a lot the same as you know about darius gray and it's interesting that empathy builds bridges builds empathy yeah and if you're part of a marginalized group, it helps you um, develop empathy for others. And you felt some of that same pain. And I'm going to read from your book um, on page 180, when you complimented him for being active all those years before the revelation. And he replied, I wasn't. He talked about the challenges he faced and the times he had felt he could take no more and temporarily distance himself. I'll leave it to Darius to tell his own story. But he is, to me, a great example of kindness and humility and one who has repeatedly turned the other cheek, not necessarily by choice. I consider him both a mentor and a personal hero. And then you go on to talk about the celebration, the B1, I believe it's called, if I'm right. and the healing and the, and the work that's done there. And I sat there and thought, you know, I hope these kind of events happen for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, that we recognize that we need to do better and have events that heal us and sort of acknowledge some of the past and can bring us together. Anything else you'd like to share, Tom, about your book or just anything you want to go back to as we're concluding? Oh, I, I think we've, if anybody's still listening, we should just they'll, say thank they'll you. They'll still be listening. <laughs> say thank you. You've hung, hung in this long. Um Tell our listeners how you're doing. Just update uh, you. Thank you. Some of our listeners may know you lived in Salt Lake and you moved to Arizona. Just tell our listeners how you're doing. Followed the sun. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, I. I am um, really grateful for a lot of uh, things that happened. I this past year in the coronavirus epidemic pandemic, I had a chance to spend six weeks in London. Yeah, tell us about that. Uh, President and Sister Chuckett's are the mission presidents there. And uh, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but I think they had something on the order of 36 senior couples in the mission at the temple. Uh, All but three had to go home at the beginning of the pandemic. And so they were a little strapped for help. And and I called one day and said, hey, if I came over, would there be any way you could use me? And and they said, well, could you be here tomorrow? <laughs> so I got to spend six weeks with them, and it was such a wonderful experience. And I finished the editing of the book while I was there, in fact, but or maybe I didn't finish it, but I certainly did a lot of the editing there. And it was wonderful because in that moment of, you know, deeply trying to ponder the spiritual gift of charity and and the love of the Savior for us and ours for him, um, to do that in the frame of um, real challenge to uh, these wonderful young elders and sisters who were, had left home in the hope that they would be able to go tell people in London and the surrounding areas um, what brings happiness to their lives, what brings meaning to their lives. And now suddenly they were in lockdown. And they um, originally, when I first got there, they could only leave the apartment to go exercise or to go do their shopping. And so they had to learn to be creative in social media and other ways to uh, reach out. And in fact, they were 
so creative that they were having greater success in teaching than they'd had before. But there was such a, a spirit of unity in the difficulty uh, during that period. And and because I was living in the mission flat with President and Sister Checkets, I had just an extraordinary amount of time to be able to absorb their goodness and enjoy uh, conversations with them and, and to share ideas and refine ideas in our discussions as we walked around Hyde Park several times each day. And um, it, it was a, in a time of difficulty, it was a great blessing. And then, and then I spent uh, 10 weeks uh, working on the re-election campaign of my dear friend here who was running for re-election to Congress and, and lived with them, with his family while That's we did cool. that. So I got to, got to be Uncle Tom to their four kids. And, That's great. And uh, so it's it has it's been a year of limbo in some ways. I'd like to get back to work. I feel like uh, I'm too young to be as lazy as I am. Um, but it's been a year of of really interesting experiences and growth uh, at the same time. So I so I guess what I would say is that a good uh, indication of my life is everything I would love to be doing is maybe not happening. But the things I am able to do are incredibly wonderful and and i'm still growing i love that you're in england um that's a really i bet the missionaries and the couples that were there and the Czechs just loved having you there and i'll bet you help people come into christ um this is the first book i've read with the word covid19 in a hardcover <laughs> book and as i was reading that tom i recognized i'm going to be spending the rest of my life reading books talking about covid19 in this period of time and uh, this won't be the first time I pick up a yeah. book, and that's part of the book. It just kind of hit me when I saw that. Um, but, Tom, on behalf of all of our listeners, anything else you want to share as we close? <laughs> I No, I hope the the message that uh, has come through in our conversation today is that, um, that it is um, my sense and your sense, our sense of... of um, the reality of Christ's life, uh, our experiences of being able to uh, feel his grace, receive his grace, the enabling power of his atoning sacrifice that allows us to to have the desire and and to act in ways to be a conduit of his love. And I I hope that's what this hour has felt like for those who've listened and and I hope each of us leaves the hour with a greater desire to spread Christ's love more broadly, that, that more people will feel it and know that they matter and that, uh, that they're seen and known. Thank you, Tom. I feel like you take us on a road with great theory of what Christ talk and then how to put it into action. Mm-hmm. Um with LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, Black Latter-day Saints. We haven't talked about undocumented workers, just it's sort of taking, you know, we've got to love everybody and sort of saying this is how we do it and how we put into action and how we help people on the margins feel included. And you being having the courage to share your own life story is part of that. It's certainly helpful to me as I became an ally, and you and Ben Shalati in particular were very helpful for me to learn this space. And so I encourage all of our listeners to read uh, A Better Heart, 
the impact, I love the word you chose there, the impact of Christ's pure love. It's a desert book. It's at Amazon. Um, it really is a taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and putting it to action. On Tom, on behalf of all of our listeners, thanks for being you. Thanks for the life you live and the words you write. And thank you, our listeners, for um, checking in on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.